appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Just before World War II in Itasca, Texas, they had a fire at a school and it killed 263 children. So the town never wanted that to happen again. When the war ended in 1945, they built a new school and they installed a sprinkler system that was brand new technology and they bought the best that money could buy. They were so proud of this. They used to give tours showing people, look at the sprinkler system. Our kids are safe. Seven years later, they started constructing a new wing. And when they started construction, they discovered that the sprinkler system had never been connected to the water system. So, in fact, they were confident of something that really didn't exist. This is the charge that is made about Christianity. We've been looking at a a series called Dealing with Doubt, and there are people that have objections to Christianity, and they say that we are believing in something that, in fact, doesn't exist. And there are various issues we've been looking at. One of these is the resurrection. How can Christians believe that someone who was dead came back to life? And that is one of the objections. And then there are others that say, does it really matter if Jesus rose from the dead or not? So we're going to examine some of the evidence of the resurrection. I want to preach about the resurrection and dealing with doubt. 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to read with me, starting at verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. He was seen by Cephas, or Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brothers at once, of whom the greater part remain in the present, but some have fallen asleep or they've passed away. After that, he was seen by James, then all the apostles, and then after all, uh, after, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Skip to verse 12. Verse 12 says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty or vain or worthless. Yes, and we're found false witnesses of God because we testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ isn't risen, your faith is futile or vain or worthless and you, in fact, are still in your sins, then those of you, those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ, then they've perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men are most pitiable or miserable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection. I want to begin. I want to talk about the resurrection under attack. From the very beginning, the resurrection has come under attack. When the, the priests got the news that people were saying Jesus was risen from the dead, they immediately made a plan to attack this idea. Matthew 28, 12, and 13, they assembled the 
elders and consulted together. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. So, these people were the enemies of Jesus and they understood the resurrection is a big deal. If these people are spreading the story that Jesus is alive then this is going to validate all that Jesus said and did. And so if we can undermine that issue, then we're greatly going to undermine the influence and the power that his followers would have. That was right in the beginning. And that has continued right up until the present time. There are great battles uh, over this issue and, and people who deny The resurrection. But I want to say something as we begin. Simply because you say, I don't believe it, or it can't happen. That's not good enough. Simply you have a belief because of science or because of any other reason you say, well, no, that that can't happen. Well, the problem is you're going to have to explain the evidence. 1916... Off the coast of New Jersey, a shark began attacking people. And the problem was that the, the premier experts about sharks, when people said people are being eaten, they're being killed or being attacked by sharks, they said that's impossible. Scientifically, sharks do not attack people. Well, that's great. Then you have to tell us what's eating them. And in fact, they discovered it was a shark. Which is why to this day, I don't take baths, I take showers. But anyway, that's another, <laughs> another issue. So, <laughs> my point is, <laughs> hey, Jaws was based on that story, okay? <laughs> so, to, simply to say, I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, the problem is you're going to have to explain then the evidence. So, let's, let's think about this. There are numbers of theories of what people say, why uh, the resurrection is, uh, is not, not true. And all of these, there are seven main theories, they fall into two categories. Because either the tomb had the body, or it didn't. So, you have the occupied tomb theory. You have people who say, yep, he is still in the tomb because resurrection is simply not possible. Okay, that's, that's not possible. So, uh, uh, then but there are other issues. So, that's, that's one. Resurrection just simply isn't possible, so he must be in the tomb. The second theory is that the story of resurrection is merely a legend. A legend is an unauthenticated story. Generally, it's you like somebody, and so the more you talk about them, the bigger the stories get. King Arthur. There's lots of stories told about King Arthur of England, and these stories grow over time. They tell a story that King Arthur banished all snakes in England. Right? That obviously is a story that grew over time. You can't just decree snakes be gone. I would like to do that. But so that's the kind of thing, legend. So they say that. The resurrection is a legend. People like Jesus. And so they talked and talked and talked. They got bigger. And so it's just a legend or, or a myth. The third theory is, these, this is the occupied tomb theory, 
the, of the, the witnesses, they went to the wrong tomb. They, they, the people went to the tomb and they were confused, they were crying, and so they went to a tomb that was empty, and they said, wow, but it, it just was the wrong one. That's, that, of course, is one theory to explain the evidence. The fourth one is that the eyewitnesses hallucinated. They wanted Jesus to be there so badly that their minds played tricks on them. And they I think I saw Jesus. Me too, I saw Jesus. There was a hallucination. Or the final one is that it was a case of mistaken identity. They saw somebody. I mean, he had a beard and everything. It was just like the movie. They said, that's Jesus. I think so too. So those are all, those are five theories. Those are all of which are saying that, in fact, Jesus is in the tomb, but for various reasons, they came to a a different idea. Then you have the empty tomb theories. There are two of those. The first of one is the scripture we read. Somebody stole the body. So, in fact, the tomb is empty, And the reason why is that the disciples stole his body so that they could make up this story about Jesus. Or the other theory is the tomb is empty because Jesus actually didn't die. He just fainted. This is called the swoon theory. He swooned and they took him down and they said, he's dead, he's dead. But when he got in the tomb, he woke up. And so those are the main seven Ways that people come up with to try to explain. I want to tell you something. The resurrection really does matter. There are foolish Christians say, it doesn't matter. Jesus is good whether or not he rose. No, no, it really does matter. Think about the implications. If those, any of those theories are true, think about what that means. That means, number one, that the Bible is not true. Because the Old Testament specifically prophesied that Jesus would rise from the dead. The New Testament is entirely based on this idea that Jesus rose from the dead. And so if the resurrection is not true, that means this book cannot be trusted. That means something. Number two, then, it it means then that Jesus would be just a man. If they could kill him and he stayed dead, then he's just like every other human being. That means he was only a good example, uh, a, a nice man. He had good teaching instead of being God in the flesh. And if that's true, the authority of his life is dramatically changed. There have been nice people, good men throughout history... And you can admire them and say that's nice. But their words have no authority in determining how you live. But you see, the Bible says Jesus was God in the flesh. And so if he did not rise from the dead, that means that he was a fraud. Because when he was alive, he said, I'm going to rise from the dead, and so that means then that if uh, he only fainted, that means he was lying to people. He either was a crazy, or that he was deliberately trying to deceive. That makes him just a man. 
It means thirdly, according to this scripture, that our sins are not forgiven. That's the argument that Paul says. He says this is a really big deal. Is if Jesus is not risen, in verse 17, then your faith is futile. That means you're still in your sins. You came and you prayed to God. You asked Him to forgive you because you believe that Jesus paid for your sins by rising from the dead. He showed that your sins are paid for. But He says, but if He didn't rise, your sin is still not paid for. That means you're in big trouble. Means, fourthly, that believers in the past or or, or us presently are wasting our time. He repeats the word vain a number of times in the King James. Your translation might have said futile. Your faith is futile. You're wasting your time worshiping a God who was lying or a nice man who was mistaken. And it means finally there's no hope beyond this life. 1 Corinthians 15, 18 and 19 says those who have fallen asleep or literally people who died believing in Christ in the past, that means they perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are the most pitiable. He says this changes everything. That means people who died believing in Jesus Christ, you are never going to see them again. That means that in this life... Listen to me, justice does not come completely in this life. There are scoundrels who die rich. Is that right? There are good people who have bad things happen to them. And one of the issues that we understand is this life is not all there is. There is a resurrection. God will bring ultimate justice. But Paul says here, if... There is no resurrection from the dead. That means there is no justice. Things are, are, it changes everything in how you view life. There's no reward for all the good that you do. Why do right if this life is all there is? Let's look secondly then. Let's look at the resurrection evidence. So let's think about the resurrection, not based on opinion, but let's examine the evidence that there is. Let's take, first of all, the theory that Jesus didn't die. This is called the swoon theory. Jesus didn't die. The testimony that Jesus died did not come from his friends. Right? It wasn't. If the apostles were cooking up a big scam, we could understand if it was the apostles that he's dead. Right? But they got this plan. Well, tell him he's dead, but he's not really dead. But it wasn't the apostles who said he was dead. It was the Roman soldiers. And you see, to a Roman soldier, this was not just a job. When you were given orders of execution, if they didn't die, you did. So that gave you really good motivation to do a good job. These men on execution detail, they killed hundreds. They killed sometimes Thousands. They were really, really good at it. And we read there in the, uh, the account of the crucifixion that a Roman soldier, because of that fact, he came and stuck a spear in his side. That doesn't mean this way. That means that he stuck it in the side upwards. This way, he was aiming for the heart. 
Because he understood, if he's not dead, I will be. And it was the Roman soldiers who sent word to Pilate, said, he is dead. We know that. Or, if you don't believe the Roman soldiers' uh, 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 testimony themselves for whatever reason. So that means Jesus was beaten, the Bible says. Flesh would have been ripped off of him, beaten Nails were pounded in hands and feet. He's taken down, laid in a, in a stone tomb, a cave, that a huge stone was rolled in front. That means you believe that a man beaten that badly and nails pounded through hand and feet got up weakened from loss of blood and with those hands and those feet personally with no handle on the inside pushed the stone aside. I think you have more faith than me. (laughs) Let's look and we'll lump numbers of these together. The fact that people say the resurrection is impossible or they went to the wrong tomb. It was a hallucination or even it was a mistaken identity. If you believe any of those, you understand Jesus Christ had great enemies. All of those would be taken care of very simply by producing the body. Right? They hated Jesus. So these people are coming. They're going, hey, I saw him. And you, you, wait a minute, you didn't see him. He's dead. I know. All they had to do was go get the body and it would take care of all of those stories. And they had good reason to because they hated him. It was known where Jesus was placed. It was Joseph of Arimathea. They knew that he was in that tomb because they had the soldiers guard that tomb. If they said, you know, if you believe that these people were mistaken because they went to the wrong tomb, surely Joseph knew his own tomb. Surely he knew where it was. He's the one who paid to have it made. So he would know whether or not it was the right tomb. Then if you believe that people were mistaken, they thought it looked like him. The Bible says this went on over the course of of, uh, 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 weeks after his resurrection. They ate with him. They saw him up, you know, from a distance. There have been people from a distance. You ever do that at a distance? Hey, how you doing? Oh, that's not the guy I thought it was. You get up close. The Bible says they ate with him. They talked to him face to face. And so, I think that that explains those issues. The legend or the myth theory, something that grew up. Legends take generations. They take hundreds of years to develop. King Arthur, that is over hundreds and hundreds of years that it grew and grew and grew. The problem is, Jesus Christ does not resemble any other legend. And in fact, number one is that the idea of the resurrection came instantly. Within days and weeks, it spread like wildfire. Within a short amount of time, it had spread throughout the... the, uh, the uh, the known world at that time to where they said these men have turned the world uh, upside down. It didn't take hundreds of years. This was immediate. 
Then you have the descriptions uh, of the event that are like no other uh, uh, legend. You have Mary who doesn't recognize. You have the followers who look bad. Right? Here's Jesus risen from the dead. They're going, I don't believe that. That's not how you start a legend. You don't make the main characters look like fools, right? And then, as we said when we were talking about the Bible, if you wanted to start a legend in those times, you would not choose women to be the first eyewitnesses. That would totally be counterproductive because women, their word was not even considered good enough. You couldn't even be a woman witness in court. So if you wanted to, we're gonna, we got this grand plan to fool people. That's not how you would start it. You would make it like magical. We were there and we saw, but that's not what happened. These are eyewitness accounts. Then you have the conspiracy theory. The disciples stole the body. And what did they get out of it? Right? It's one thing, you know, tell a lie and then we got this great job and we made a lot of money off of it. What did they get out of it? Judas, of course, we discount him. All 11 wound up being arrested and beaten and tortured. 10 of 11, they died horrible deaths for claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. Only John, he was exiled, sent away never to see people that he loved again. So you mean to tell me not one of those men would change their stories? Like, okay, all right, all right, wait, wait, wait. Okay, now let me tell the truth. To save his own skin? No. They were tortured and died horrible deaths? Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and philosopher, he said, I believe witnesses that get their throats cut. That's wisdom. These men didn't get any benefits. If they were lying, they were very stupid because it cost them so much. Then you have the eyewitness accounts. Our understanding of the resurrection doesn't come from Chinese whispers of, I heard it from a friend who knew a cousin and there was a guy. Is These were eyewitness accounts. John 19.35, he who has seen, talking about himself, has testified, his testimony is true, he knows he's telling the truth so that you may believe. In our scripture that we read, verse 3 through 7, I told you what was told directly to me. That's another translation. How Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. He was seen by Peter, then the twelve, then by more than 500 uh, uh, brothers at once, of whom the greater part, they're alive unto this time, Some have died, but most are alive. Then he was seen by James and then all of the other apostles. Eyewitness testimony in a court of law is acceptable if there's just one. But he names them and he says there were more than 500 at one time who saw him. And he names these people. He's naming them because he's saying you can go check. For yourself. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, this would have only been 15 to 20 years after the event. Writing that only that short amount of time afterwards would be dangerous if it wasn't true because it could be checked. Now, let me give you an example. When we first moved to Prescott, we lived 
in Prescott on Audrey Lane, 915 Audrey Lane. We live there. If I started telling you stories, you know what? We used to live on Audrey Lane in a 25-bedroom mansion, and we were picked up and taken by limousine to school every day. Well, the issue is you could go to people who lived near us and ask. The Bennett family, you know, Bennett Oil, Bennett Glass, Ken Bennett, the current Secretary of State for Arizona, he was our neighbor. We used to jump on the trampoline there. If you went and said, hey, Ken, did the Mitchells live in a 25-room mansion? It's like, no, they lived in a 900-square-foot house. That's not true. Right? That's what Paul is writing here. He's writing so close to the event, it would be very easy if he's... And he's alive. You could go, hey, listen, uh, uh, you could ask some of the people that were named Mary and Peter and Joseph of Arimathea and James. And you could ask them, is this true? And in all of that time, there never was another eyewitness who came and said, hey, I was in on it. This is all a hoax. They cooked up a plan to deceive people. The eyewitness testimonies become powerful when you put it together with the empty tomb. If it was eyewitness testimony only, there's lots of people who claim to see dead people, right? I saw grandma. Uh, We could go to the cemetery. Grandma's still there. Right? So you saying I saw grandma, an eyewitness testimony is not good enough. On the other hand, if you say we went to the tomb, there's nothing there. Well, then you would not assume naturally, then he must arose. You would assume someone stole the body or they moved it. But when you have eyewitness testimony, I saw him. And you put that together with the empty tomb, it becomes powerful. So the weight of evidence leans toward the story of the resurrection being true. Dr. Anthony Flew, he was an atheist. He was an outspoken atheist for many years. But he had a conversion experience. He said the evidence for the resurrection is better than for the claimed uh, miracles in any other religion. It's outstandingly different in quality and quantity, I think, from the evidence offered for the occurrence of most other supposedly miraculous events. Let's look finally at the centerpiece. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the absolute centerpiece of Christianity. (laughs) So think about what the resurrection means, because Paul... He gave and we discussed the negatives. What does it mean if the resurrection is not true? But think about the implications of of what it means that Jesus rose from the dead and based on the evidence that it leans toward it being true. It means, number one, that the resurrection, it shows that Jesus is who he said he was. John 8, 58, he made this clear. He wasn't claiming to be simply good teacher. Somebody came, a good teacher, tell me what I'm... A, and he says, oh, 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 good teacher's not good enough. Why are you calling me a good teacher? That's not enough. John 8, 58, he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham 
was, I am. He's taking the name of God. Listen, Abraham, he has been dead hundreds and hundreds of years. He said, I was alive before that. How could that be? Only if you're God. And so this is the claim. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's showing that he is God in the flesh. There are other religions who may have some good teachings. They may have ethics and some nice things to say. But this is the difference between Christianity and the others. None of them claim that their founder rose from the dead. In fact, most other religions celebrate the fact that the bones are still there. We're going to go on holy pilgrimage and celebrate. The bones are still there, but not Christianity. His word then, if he rose from the dead, his word is, it's not like the words of Mahatma Gandhi. It's not the same. Gandhi, he, uh, he may have said a few good things, but Jesus, if he's God in the flesh, that means that his word must be followed because he is God. There are people who say, why, do you, why does Christianity claim to be unique? Why don't you just say that you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good religion like all other religions? Because it is unique. And one of the things that makes Christianity unique is Jesus rose from the dead. Number two, the resurrection is proof that sin is paid for. Only God can forgive sins. If you come to me and you say to me, I've done this or that, and I say to you, it doesn't matter. It's all forgiven just based on my word. That's not good enough. Jesus said in Mark 2, 5 through 7, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there saying, why does he talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's exactly right. Only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus is offering forgiveness. He was saying he was going to pay in his body by being crucified. And the proof of Jesus being who he said he was and that sins were paid is that he didn't stay dead. As one man said, the resurrection is God's gigantic Paid in full over all of our sins. That's how we know that the claims of sin have been met and that sin and death have no more power over us. First Peter 1 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. He said, That's why you know you can be forgiven, is because Jesus is risen from the dead. It means, thirdly, that the Bible is true. The Old Testament prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was ever on the earth that he was not only going to be born, but that he would die for our sins and that he would rise. From the dead. And the only way that the Old Testament could prophesy those specific details is if this is inspired of God. This is a supernatural book. John 2 22, when he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered what he said and they believed the scripture. You can trust 
this book because Jesus rose from the dead. It means, fourthly, that there, that there is a power stronger than natural laws. The, the, the common complaint or, or of people who doubt is, resurrection is not possible because that's, that doesn't conform to natural laws. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm claiming. And the resurrection power, it's not merely for the... Pa- if it was just that we were claiming, yep, this guy... 2,000 years ago, he died, he rose from the dead. Okay, but you weren't there. But you see, resurrection power, because it's true, the resurrection power didn't stop 2,000 years ago. What that means is that it would take a miracle for a dead body to come to life. That's right. And it would take a miracle for a drug addict and an alcoholic to be delivered from their addiction. And the Bible says that can happen because Jesus rose from the dead. Resurrection power can come in them. Romans 6.4 Just like Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we can walk in newness of life. Resurrection power comes inside of us and it transforms. It means also that in our lives today that there is a power beyond what you can see or what is natural. Troubles may come. There may be crosses in your life. But the the, the resurrection shows that God has more power than that. In one moment, here it is, they have given up. They're in despair. This is never going to change. He is dead, 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 but he rose from the dead. And that means, that's why they gave testimonies. That is why Pastor Mitchell could stand in Oceanside, California. There could be people who are deaf or a man who's been shot and, and still has bullets inside of him is currently in pain right now. But Pastor Mitchell declared, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He wasn't just talking about, folks, let's talk history. No, he was saying, how do we know? Because that resurrection power is going to work in Oceanside, California tonight. And I'm telling you that it works in Prescott, Arizona tonight. Amen. That means finally that the resurrection shows there is life beyond this life. If Jesus, what he said about his own death... And life after his own death. If that's true, then that makes, it makes logical sense what he told us about our death and life after death. That that also is true. It means there is judgment after you die. And that's based on how you live in this life. It means there's restoration. When Jesus came and was risen from the dead, they didn't have to carry him in his broken, bleeding body, but he stood there strong and restored because he's showing, thank God when we rise from the dead, you're not going to be using canes or needing glasses or using wheelchairs because resurrection restores. It means, thirdly, that there's reunion. He says it means something. You have people you love who have died and already are gone. 
He says it means you're going to see them again. Because Jesus said so. He rose from the dead so we can take his word for it. And it means that there is reward. There is going to be justice. There is going to be a rewarding of uh, how we uh, uh, choose to live in this life. So all of that brings us to a decision. It is not enough simply to say, I don't believe in the resurrection. Really, you should investigate for yourself. Because your life, your eternity depends on this. 1969, Hurricane Camille was headed for past Christian Mississippi, a town in Mississippi. The sheriff went to uh, uh, the Richelieu apartments where people were having a hurricane party. They're choosing to party. And he went and warned them. He said, the storm is about to hit. And they said, we're not leaving. You would have to arrest us. The apartments were only 250 feet from the ocean. And so he said, no, I'm not going to arrest you. But at least give me your name so I can contact your next of kin. Took down their names. Less than three hours later, Hurricane Camille hit. The winds were more than 205 miles an hour. The, the waves were up to 28 feet high. Everybody at that party, they all died. That's what the resurrection's like. They said, eh, we don't believe no stinking storms. Okay. But, but this, is not, this is not like a... A test at school. Oh, bummer, man. I missed a question. Now, this is your eternity. You would be wise, not simply say, I don't believe in the resurrection. Find out for yourself. You can examine the evidence for yourself. I close with this story. Lee Strobel, he was the former legal affairs editor at the Chicago Tribune. He said, I used to consider the resurrection to be a laughable fairy tale. Yale Law School trained me to be coldly rational. My years of the Tribune only toughened my naturally cynical personality. But I became intrigued by the changes in my wife after she became a Christian. So I spent nearly two years systematically using my journalistic and legal experience to study the evidence for the resurrection and the credibility of Jesus' claims to be God He said, at the end of that, I emerged totally convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, that the resurrection was true, and he said, I gave my life to Christ. That is what you should do, is you should investigate and find out. I tell you, Jesus is risen from the dead. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes all across.